Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we discuss all things information, all things security, and all things information security. I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. And Matt, it's Memorial Day weekend. It's mm -hmm. the cusp of the summer. Yep. It's time off uh, for me and you. Yep. Uh, there's something that that we had to do. There's something that, that I think, you know, it, it becomes us as adults and as Americans. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Would, would you say that you're a nostalgic person in general? I, I am, but yeah. I, I'm also, I'm also a skeptic. So every time I start to have nostalgia, I say, oh yeah. And there are these other things that sucked too. <laughs> right. So, yeah, nostalgia is generally re remembering the good parts and forgetting about the bad parts. Uh -huh. But, uh, yeah, this is also a weekend for nostalgia because we've had a, a significant movie come out that we have now both seen separately, unfortunately. I, I invited you to come up to Lexington and, and, and go on a double date with me, but you respectfully declined because it is uh, a considerable <laughs> distance away. <laughs> But yeah, both of us have a history and a, and a love and probably a bit of nostalgia for aviation in general and for one movie in particular that, that probably got our interest piked in aviation. And that would be the 1986 Tom Cruise blockbuster, Top Gun. Oh my goodness. Um, and I'm, I'm going to both agree with you and disagree with you on several points. But before I do, I just want to point out <laughs> to our three listeners, this is going to be another one of our series of media reviews for Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec, where we dissect uh, all sorts of different media, films, books, television, and so forth, from a perspective of often InfoSec, but usually just our own opinions. <laughs> right. And I should probably also throw out that the, uh, a spoiler warning, because I think that oh, yeah. uh, I, I'm, I'm loath to tell anybody of the three listeners to turn this off for the time being. But if we are, as long as we already have the download, then that, that, that's all that matters. Come back to this after you've seen it or if you have plans to see it or anything like that. Uh, we are going to probably be discussing some some plot points that are uh, particular to this movie. And if you don't want to go into knowing any of these plot points, Pause this right now, go see the movie, and then come back and listen to us. I think this is the first media that we've reviewed on this show that is less than five years old. Yeah, right, uh, yeah, it's and, contemporary. And usually, you know, usually we're looking at 20-year-old stuff. So it's, it's kind of interesting that it, this is a sequel that's been a quarter century in the making. A quarter century? It's uh, 36 years since... Uh, Don't do that. See, that's not necessary. You don't got to do that. <laughs> I only bring it up because that's one of the plot points is that uh, uh, Maverick, uh, the, the Tom Cruise character, uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell, has now been in the Navy for going on for 40 years and still is not an admiral, still doesn't have a star on his, on his lapel, uh, and is still only a, a lowly 06 captain in the Navy, <laughs> which is something that they bring up in the movie. And, and they address it right away. They have to get that. Yeah. They have to get that out of the way, right? And they do right. it. They do it, uh, it very respectfully with Ed Harris in a terrific performance because he's Ed Harris. Um, uh, you know, basically reprising every Ed Harris role he's ever played. <laughs> and um, you know, this I I want to go in. Uh, you have to suspend your disbelief on everything in this film because it is a fantasy. It is pure 
uh, stardust and dragons and you know uh, orcs yeah. and elves. It's there is <laughs> right. nothing realistic about this film whatsoever. And I don't know about the Navy, but uh, I'm imagining that the DOD still has an up or out policy, and you're not allowed mm. to be in for 40 years and still be in 06. That's that's not a thing. Right. Well, and, and that was a question that I had. And again, we're, we're both Air Force guys. We're not Navy guys. Um, I know that the Navy, though, has a history of, of very old uh, senior people being in its ranks. And, and in particular, I'm thinking of uh, someone near and dear to my heart, Grace Hopper who was a Navy admiral, and she was in her 80s, I think. Uh, and uh, she was a computer scientist, uh, programmer, did a whole bunch of stuff with regards to the field of, of uh, uh, computers. But she was a Navy admiral for a very, very long time. Uh, Hyman Rickover, another uh, admiral who was uh, in way past his prime. So I don't know if that was just a different time. I don't know if it's because it was the Navy and, and their branch in particular or whatever. But there there are examples of people being in the Navy for a very, very long and- time. And we can add the fantasy that, you know, he's the the, the highest uh, kill ratio pilot still in <laughs> right. existence. So he's probably treated more like a PR tool or, or you know, like, like a, an effigy as opposed to an actual operational <laughs> uh, member of the military. But, sure. but from the first scenes, we see him as a test pilot mm-hmm. and he's actually still doing stuff and... Yep. It's a pretty good intro to the film, I think. That that opening sequence was fantastic. Yeah, and and, and from an operational uh, uh, Navy and, and a security standpoint, I don't know if you know this story, but the airplane, the stealth craft, uh, and I forget the name of it or the designation of it, uh, it was a Skunk Works stealth Dark. craft. They Sorry. called it Dark Star in the film. Oh, yeah, Dark I think, Star, yes. I think Aurora was kind of what they were referring to. Right, right. Um, a, a Mach 10 capable manned aircraft. Um but I don't know if you know the story, but apparently when they were filming this, they had a mock-up of, you know, a model or, or, or basically a full-size version of this airplane. It was non-functional, but um, spies and satellites and intelligence got back to some countries that were um, adversarial towards the United States and took this at face value that this was a new United States Navy project and and went un- got under a significant amount of scrutiny from spy agencies and intelligence agencies. I don't know if you knew that. I thought no, I've not heard that. I, you know, it's funny. I, I, um, a lot of the things in the film are taken either from real world situations or from other literary or media. Um, uh, and you mo- you mentioned skunk works, and and they show the skunk on the tail mm-hmm. and on the yeah. stick of the plane. Yeah. And for those of you unfamiliar, and and I had to explain it to Robin on the way home from the film. Clarence Kelly Johnson famously was the creator of a Lockheed. It was Lockheed, wasn't it? A Lockheed program. Uh, yes. Yeah. Called the Skunk Works, which built secret military and intelligence aircraft for decades. And yep. um, he created a lot of the security practices that we still use in the InfoSec field. The compartmentalization, need mm-hmm. to know. A lot of those things, uh, the Skunk Works team instituted and took to a high art so that they could make these aircraft that nobody else would know about other than mm-hmm. the people who had need to know about them. Right. And right. they famously came out with the the F-117, the SR-71, the U-2TR-1. Yep. 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 Um, that, yeah, those were the three examples I was going to give. If, if you know nothing else about Skunk Works, know that the U-2 spy plane, which is the, uh, the one that's got the great big wings like the glider, the SR-71 spy plane, 
which was the fastest manned aircraft, uh, Mach 3.3 capable, uh, unofficially, uh, official uh, top speed's never been disclosed, uh, could outrun missiles uh, from uh, adversarial countries. Um, and the F-117, the, the, uh, the stealth fighter, even though it wasn't technically a fighter aircraft, um, you know, the, uh, uh, it, it was unveiled to the world basically in the 1990s and became the star of the uh, first Iraq war in 91, 92 ish. Yeah, those are all skunk works projects. So, so yeah, so we're, we're introdu introduced in this movie to, uh, their latest and greatest skunk works project, which is a Mach 10 capable, uh, aircraft that, that our boy Maverick hops in, uh, <laughs> and wasn't supposed to, <laughs> was supposed to only hit nine Mach nine and took it all the way up to Mach 10 was explicitly told, do not hit Mach 10.1, do not hit Mach 10.2. And what does he do? He doesn't hit either one of them. He goes on past them and hits Mach 10.3. <laughs> and the plane disintegrates. And right. that is, it, from what I understand, and this is all rumor and innuendo, I have no knowledge of this from the real world other than I think I saw it. Uh, but uh, the Aurora did that. Evidently, it was at hmm. Mach 12 when it disintegrated over the desert between California and Nevada in the but, early 90s. Don't bury the lead here. Did you just say you saw it? I think I watched that happen. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. That's <laughs> a new one for me. I was, I was living in Las Vegas. I saw this. It, it was not a meteor. It was not. And then, you know, watching the news the next couple of days and, and picking up on just uh, open source stuff, I kind of put together that's probably what that thing was. Wow. Because uh, you, know you know when there's irregularities in the sky and everybody calls mm -hmm. up about UFOs and, you know, the newspapers will say this or that, but nobody ever really confirms anything or, you know, whether it's right. – they don't substantiate it. Yeah, those are uh, – those things do happen. And um, I think that was the end of the program. I think that was – they only had two of them. I, I, these are all based on rumors again, but I think they only had two of the prototypes of the Aurora and the one disintegrated and they, and they shelved the program. So you're not speaking under any capacity as a, as a spokesman for uh, the Department of the Defense, the United States Air Force or anything <laughs> other than just yourself as a civilian Ben Malisa, right? <laughs> I, I, I'm speaking uh, under the auspices of crazy conspiracy theorists. Uh, <laughs> Uh, everywhere, uh, no, not that I count myself among them, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's the way I understand. And, and that was kind of the nod, I think, that the writers, you know, mm -hmm. they incorporated some history and then a lot of fantasy as well into right. the film. Um, yeah. So from a security aspect, what did you see during that opening sequence that made you go, um, no, bad security? From a security aspect, um, so so we're talking about the the fact that that Tom Cruise just hopped into this probably multi billion dollar airplane, took off on it completely unauthorized, blew the roof off of a shed, and didn't get any real consequences, uh, and, and even happened to you know have the airplane disintegrate, uh, parachuted down, walked into a civilian town, and was greeted as an extraterrestrial. Um, <laughs> There's a lot to unpack in all of that, but I think that the biggest thing is you can't just even if you're the Navy's the Navy's top test pilot, even if you are assigned to this program, you can't just go hop into a plane and go, go go break uh, all these rules and regulations. These, these are all very strictly controlled programs with very strict parameters because they're testing these things and they there's a lot invested, so you don't want them to just go off on a joyride. But nonetheless, that's what occurred. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and. 
you know, to, to put all the icing on that cake, I'd jump down to basics. The fact that the runway was visible line of sight <laughs> from outside the fence, you oh, know, the, yeah, right. you know, and I don't think he slowed down on his motorcycle as he went through the gate. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes, yes. He, he, he drove his motorcycle straight up the flight, the flight line. And into the, the hangar. hangar where the multi-billion right. dollar experimental aircraft was. And there were only like, you know, whatever, five officials in, 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 the, in the building. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, as you and I both know from being on Air Force bases, uh, the flight line is one of those sacred places that you do not cross and you will be shot on sight if you go across it. <laughs> How he managed to get all the way in there. Now, I've, I've, never, I've never heard of anyone actually getting shot for breaking red, which is what you say when you, when you there's a red, there's a literal painted red line mm -hmm. on the, the airfield. And if you cross that, you've violated federal law and the Air, you know, Air Force has control. I've never seen anyone get shot. But uh, remind me to tell you a story one day of, of where I, as an officer, I caused the wrong people to get arrested. Um, and you will, you will get thrown face down on the tarmac wow. with an M16 in the back of your neck. That's, yeah, that is yeah. a thing that does happen. Um, but yeah. And, that, so, and that occurs around just normal everyday F16s, F15s. So I can't imagine a super secret, sensitive, secure project. Let me see how many S words I can get in here. Uh, would, would, be, would be protected. So, okay. So those assets, and I forget the nomenclature of what they're called but they're like a tier one. That's the highest value thing. And the things that fall into tier one are nukes, mm -hmm. aircraft or vehicles that are over a certain value or are still classified. Um, politicians like members of Congress or Senate or the president, those are all the tier one assets. Mm -hmm. And for any tier one asset, there will be an armed guard in accordance on it at all times. And I will share with you this story because I just find it absolutely awesome. Um, we had a, uh, at one of the Air Force bases that I, I was at when I was an officer, we had a uh, an air show. And during air shows, the military brings in all its propaganda aircraft so that tourists can either go and walk. That's one of the few times they're allowed to break red under escort mm -hmm. and go on to the airfield and take pictures with the plane. And, and then the, there's demonstration flights of the planes flying over. Yeah. And uh, we had one of those. We had an F-117 in a hangar. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you have to do when you have an F-117, at least at the time when it was a Tier 1 asset, you have to have an armed guard on it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm -hmm. And I was in the command post watching on camera as the F-117 was in the hangar parked and we had a camera pointed at it. And there's a guard, a security guard in the hangar there with him. And there's a little roped off cordon and a literal, you know, it's like being at a club with a bunch of, you know, brass posts and a velvet rope around it. Yep. And the security guards commander very benevolently had given the security guard a chair so that the security guard didn't have to stand for eight hours carrying mm. a rifle and, you know, standing on concrete. It's very tiring. Yeah. It's very boring at two in the morning. Commander was being a bro. Commander was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. They gave now in the military security security guard is not a security guard they're a member of the military they're a security police officer and they're a law enforcement member and you're talking about a 19 20 21 year old kid right and it's two in the morning and 
they're bored and they've already been standing there for a few hours and no one's coming to steal the F-117. That's just not a thing. <laughs> right. The kid was sitting in the chair. It was a swivel chair from an office cubicle. Uh-huh. The kid raised his M-16 to his shoulder. Oh, boy. And started spinning in the chair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's bored. The kid's bored. Right. He's a kid and being a kid. we're watching the... We're watching this on camera, and I'm trying not to laugh my ass off, and my my enlisted controller is trying to not to laugh their ass off. And um, what's happening is the kid is drawing the bead of his rifle in circles many times across the priority one asset. <laughs> and all I so did he's got was a hit... live weapon pointed uh-huh. at uh-huh. the stealth fighter. Yeah, and if yeah. some small thing were to happen where his trigger finger hit the trigger yep that asset all of a sudden has a hole in it millions of dollars of damage (laughs) and a huge explanation to everyone you know in the command chain the one thing the kid is there to do Uh is keep stuff like that from happening to the asset but yeah Uh, i I hit the hotline over to the security desk and and uh, as they they didn't even answer by greeting me or anything they said yes sir we're seeing it too we're on it (laughs) (laughs) oh all right all that to say yeah um yeah yeah so none of that existed in this movie because obviously that would make it far too boring and and the entire movie would just be tom cruise trying to get through all the layers of security to his vehicle to be able to take take off so Which is a, a, a multi-hour process. You know, right. it's, like you said, you just don't jump in a cockpit of a plane and take off. Yeah. Now, legendarily, uh, you know, and I think back to Tom Wolfe's seminal The Right Stuff, both the book and the mm-hmm. film. Yeah. Theoretically, Chuck Yeager did that with one of the aircraft that he ended up crashing. Oh, really? And, uh, yeah. Um, but again... I, it's one of those people who probably was only quasi in the military at that point, and they had to keep him on payroll because he was Chuck Yeager. And, you know, right. Yeah. He's um, a big time pilot. Now, was this before or after breaking the speed of sound in the way in, after? This is again okay. when he was in his 60s or 70s. Okay. 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 And, yeah. uh, and he crashed. I think it was an F 104 in the movie, a Starfighter, I think. Mm, okay. Yeah, those were yeah basically a rocket ship with little stubby wings on them. Yeah. Now, now Jaeger's an interesting character because he also was uh, rated to fly an F fifteen. He so he 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 had type ratings in multiple uh, military um, uh, fighter jets uh, up up to and including you know more recent ones like the F fifteen. But yeah, yeah I'm, again, if it's Jaeger, you kind of let some stuff slide. And, and probably there's a lot of legends that have a, a kernel of truth in them, and perhaps. Pete Maverick Mitchell is the same way. He he appears to be on the on the level of a Chuck Yeager, having that kind of clout, even though he never got to be uh, have, have a star or be an admiral. Exactly, and I and I think that's the kind of comparison that we're supposed to draw from for the film, yeah. uh, an almost comic book superhero kind of character. <laughs> yep. All right. So in terms of security, that's all terrible. Um, <laughs> uh, you mentioned the fact that he destroys the aircraft and he's still allowed to go on to a, yeah. a, an operational position. They send him back to Top Gun, the weapons school. Yep. Fighter for weapons the school. Navy. Yeah. Where they're, they're supposed to train the best of the best. Right. Yep. Um, and so he goes to, was it San Diego? I think it was San Diego. Yeah, because it moved from Miramar. Um, it's no longer there. But yeah, yeah. Um, 
it's now, uh, uh, I think that they, uh, real world, it's a Marine Corps station, but uh, yeah, wherever it is now in San Diego, I think it is. Yeah. I didn't know it was a Marine Corps station. Seriously? Um, yeah, I'm pretty, I, I read that somewhere. I don't have firsthand knowledge, obviously not being in the military, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, there, or maybe, maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe the old Miramar became a Marine Corps station. Anyways, Marine Corps, you know, uh, they, 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 give them, they threw him a bone. The, the Navy were, gave him something to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> they chewed through all their crayons. <laughs> so Cruz has been recruited, or Maverick has been recruited mm-hmm. to train a specific team, a detachment of 12 pilots yep. to uh, strike a particular target. Yep. And, a, a, yeah, a very difficult mission is being handed to them, and uh, Maverick is the only one that can teach these guys. Now, all these, uh, one of the things they don't make clear, all these pilots that he's teaching are already Top Gun graduates. So they are already, you know, the top 1% of the top 1% of pilots that the Navy has to offer. I think uh, not only did they say they were pilots, but they were all, they were all number one, they were all top of their class. Yeah. I, okay. I think that's, I, I, I'm, it was a long movie, and I may not have gotten all the details, but that was kind of the implication there. Yeah, yeah. So super hot shot, really good pilots. Um, but yeah, being given a very difficult mission that I thought uh, has an interesting parallel to real-world security, which is that uh, the mission involves uh, the, the, the big um, thing that they're going against is what's called a fifth-generation fighter. So in... in, in, in uh, 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 Aviation, there are generations of uh, fighter planes. This is not the target. This is the adversary. But yeah, right, this is the adversary. Yeah, so they're they're going to be flying um, not F-35s, which are the, the fifth generation Navy pot, uh, 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 jets. They're going to be flying F-18 Hornets, which are, are technically fourth generation. Uh, but they're going up against fifth generation, which implies that they have all kinds of new um, sensors, electronics, capabilities, can do all all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but they're going to take, be taking their F-18s against these uh, uh, high-value, well, against a single high-value target that's being protected by fifth-generation fighters. And, and one, the thing that I wanted to bring up about it was the adversary, which is never named, um, has all the latest and greatest toys to throw at anybody trying to attack them. Yet the Navy chooses to send, how old is the F-18 now, 35 years old? Easily. Uh, yeah. Easily. Uh, a, a 35-year-old uh, airframe against this high value target that's being protected by all this stuff. And the thing that I wanted to say was you can spend as much money as you want. If you have a determined attacker, and in this case, the attacker being Maverick and, and, and the people that he's leading, if you have a determined attacker, it doesn't matter how much money you threw at the, at the security of it. They can, they can probably figure out a way to get into it. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about, first of all, did they ever say why? Did they ever say why they were going to use F-18s as opposed to Raptors or? Well, yeah, Raptors are Air Force, so so obviously you can't have a Top Gun using Raptors. But but uh, <laughs> but did they ever explain why they weren't going to use our fifth it was generation? A throwaway line because yeah, the F-35, uh, which is the latest and greatest Navy fighter jet, um, was not going to be able to do it, and they I don't remember what the reason was. And by the way, the F-35's nickname is Fat Amy. So if you, and I think that they actually mentioned once or twice in the movie something, and they use the term Fat Amy. That's the F-35. Um, it's a derogatory term because uh, nobody likes the F-35. Nobody who actually <laughs> knows anything about aviation actually likes the F-35. But anyways, all that to say, yeah, they, 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 there was some, again, they kind of blew it off like they blew off why Tom Cruise's Maverick is not an admiral. Um, uh, but anyways, yeah, the F-18's overall, you know, 
older generation, but cheaper to, to operate, cheaper to maintain. And they've got two engines versus Fat Amy has got one engine. Uh, plus Fat Amy has got, you know. Uh, Wait a second. Now, hold on a second. I don't see, I mean, and this, we're going to talk more about media reviews here. I don't see anything derogatory about Fat Amy. Fat Amy is homage to the Pitch Perfect yeah. series of musicals. And Fat Amy was a very hilarious, lovable character from those yes, films. I so, agree. I agree. Yeah. I'm a father of daughters, and I have seen Pitch Perfect in all of its sequels many times. So, yes, I, I, have, <laughs> I have no daughters, and I've seen Pitch Perfect. And it's, I have the soundtrack on my, on my phone. Oh, that's so, funny. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I love musicals. Uh, um, but, no, yeah, it's, it's called that. They that, never clarify as to why the F-18 is going to make the strike, other than the fact that Tom Cruise knows how to fly it, and that gives him an excuse to put Maverick in the scene, right? Right, right, yeah. And plus, right. I think, and the, um, and, and, I mean, real world, Fat Amy, uh, the F-35 is not a two-person cockpit. Um, so if you want to have the um, the, 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 the movie uh, hit of having two people in the cockpit, in other words, the pilot in the front and then the Rio or the Wizzo, uh, weapon systems officer, uh, radar intercept officer in the back, you gotta have a, 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 an, an airframe that, has, that supports that, which the F-18, um, has versions that do and don't. And so they're flying the uh, F-18. Uh, I'm getting super nerdy here about... Um, uh, C and D models or, or B and I, D I, models? No, I was, was going to say, I think it's the E and... Um, the, the, the F and the G models are the, are the okay. two-seaters. Uh, but anyways, yeah, all that to go. And, they, and they, if they you want, want to from... have your Hollywood star, who is a multi-billion dollar property himself actually featured in the aircraft as it's flying you need a two-seater aircraft <laughs> right that's ex- right. that's the reason to have the f-18 yes yes it, that's right. impossible to do it in f-35 yep so now the target that they're supposed to hit is an enrich a uranium enrichment facility uh, you know and they don't make it clear if it's a breeder reactor you know what, what exactly it is um yep and this again is drawn from both real world and from other media Um, basically they do the plot of flight of the intruder, (laughs) which is where the Navy has some strike aircraft. There's a particular targets that's surrounded by uh, a hornet's nest of Sam surface to air missile silos. And they set up a practice range in the American desert where they can run the run repetitively practicing how they're going to do the strike so that when they actually go and do it, they know how to do it, and they can have a they have some percentage of survival. Yep. Um, it's also highly recogn- uh, you know, highly reminiscent of the nineteen early nineteen eighties Israeli strike on the Iraqi um, breeder oh. reactor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, where they flew a flight of F sixteens. Uh, so tight and for, at first so high to get there and then so low once they got within range that it was um, unrecognizable from Iraqi radar uh, compared to a flock of birds. And they were able to, to take out the reactor. So both things, I think, kind of played into the way the film portrays that, that yeah. tactic. Now, see, I thought that the reference that you were going to make was going to be an even earlier uh, movie trope from 1977, which was the trench run from the from Star Wars, where they got into <laughs> the canyon. <laughs> oh, oh! Like how many times did they have Cruz and Rooster say, um, "Don't think, just do"? You know, I mean, it was it was so 
it was so Ben Kenobi's voice in Luke's head, you know, I mean, right. right. Put, put away your goggles, uh, Luke, and uh, just use the force. Yeah, that's yes, what exactly. That was, it was extremely similar to the, to the, to the camera angles on the Sam uh, turrets looking mm -hmm. like the, the turret towers in yes, the trench. Exactly. You know, yeah. Yes, exactly. It, it, highly reminiscent. Yep. Totally. Yeah, and, and, although I will say uh, this movie, Top Gun, explained why you don't want to go above the canyon much better than Star Wars did during the trench run. Because um, uh, if you go above a certain altitude, then you're within, then, then the SAM's radar will pick you up. So uh, even though these are not stealthy planes, they are using aspects of the environment to hide or to cloak the fact that they are uh, where that where that they are, which is another uh, good security point, I think. Is that you can if you can obfuscate, you don't you know as many you can have as many sensors as you want, but if someone just either you know goes beneath the radar, so to speak, you you may not know that they're there. Okay, let's talk about that now. <laughs> I love how you just I try to make good salient points, and you just look well, at me like there's, oh, let's a pick few, this apart. there's a few things here. I mean, one of them is. Yes, maybe those SAM silos can't launch a missile downward, right? Mm -hmm. They're doing what's called nap of the earth flying, right? They're at 100 mm -hmm. feet off the ground, which is itself inherently dangerous and crazy at speed because yes. just the slightest twitch and boom, you're shrapnel, right? Yep. Um, it doesn't mean that somebody with a man pad can't just stand on one of those <laughs> cliff bases and fire at you, especially right. if, you know... These aren't quiet machines. You know? <laughs> right. If you've ever been to an airfield, and especially around a, a military jet, yes, it, it's quite deafening. I mean, you know, it, it, you hear one flying over your neighborhood, it could be miles away, and you know it's there. Yep. So the guys who are at the first SAM site could radio ahead to the, you know, they got two <laughs> whole minutes to prep. Right. They could radio ahead to the guy at the other site say, hey, why don't you just whip out whatever the Soviet version of a, of the, the stinger is, you know, <laughs> right. and um, yeah, just go ahead and wait till they show up and, and fire this thing from your shoulder. Yeah. Um, now, so perhaps that's an example of, uh, of, of how not to do defense in depth because they, only, they relied basically on two forms of security. Uh, and that was the SAMs, the, the surface-to-air missiles, and the uh, uh, the, the, the uh, fifth-generation fighters that they kept touting. They had no third option for, for anything uh, else that uh, might be too low. All right, so let me get to the fighters in a second, but I still want to piece this one out from an InfoSec perspective. We talk about risk-benefit, right, and the trade-off, the opportunity cost. If you were planning this strike, would you take six highly trained – was it six pilots in the uh, um, pilots and whizzos, right? I guess so, yeah. Because, well, yeah. they had several that they kept back as uh, there was as three fair. and three. There was yeah. three and three, right? Mm -hmm. One two seater and one one seater in each of the two planes, and there's four planes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, would you use six pilots and four extremely large and cumbersome and weight limited aircraft? Or, would you take a bunch of drones that cost 20,000 bucks each, uh -huh. you know, strap some dynamite to them and send 400 drones, even if right. they launched all their missiles, they're all their SAMs. And even yep. if the SAMs killed two drones per SAM, the cost of the SAM rockets 
and their ability, their inability to reload them in any timely fashion and, and keep all the drones. The drones, you got no people, no casualties, yep. and your expense is negligible. They used yep. all the Tomahawks, the cruise, the long-range cruise missiles, the standoff mm-hmm. missiles, to target the airfield when just as easily the Tomahawk could have gone to the, you know, yes. target, you know? <laughs> right, right. I thought the exact same thing. This this appeared to be something that could easily be solved with one simple cruise missile. And the, and the explanation they gave in the movie and the in the narrative was because the target was at the bottom of essentially a a, a, a crater, a volcano. It yeah. was like a Bond villain lair. Right, right, right. So so anything that attacked had to not only traverse all the security going up to the um, uh, the crater, but then had to be able to basically go straight down and 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 be able to attack. And I was and I was thinking, we already have lots of this capability. This is not new technology that you need a manned fighter plane to be able to do. And on top of that, the fighter planes could barely even do it anyway. We've been dropping bombs on on targets for a very long time, and they go basically vertically into whatever you want to hit. Smart bombs, cruise missiles. We have all the, all this capability. But yes, regardless, we we suspended that disbelief. Uh, yes, and and again, that's why it's total fantasy. You know, the the point they try to make at the beginning of the film is this rah-rah human element is the best yes people who like robots and technology and rely on that are denigrating this noble effort of human combat in the air right and in fact if you had a couple tungsten rods hanging from an orbital platform and you could drop Mm. them straight down into that crater yep this whole movie would be moot right and you (laughs) (laughs) the old rods from god scenario yes yes Um... yes yeah, so, obviously, yeah, real world uh, planning this kind of a mission would, would be under a lot of scrutiny and there'd be a lot of other options. But nonetheless, it doesn't look as cool as having, you know, all these people uh, uh, whipping around in F-18s. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So m- more secu- or let's talk about the fighters so I don't forget about it. And then mm-hmm. I want to do more security aspects. The Tomahawks take out the runway which is the home base for these fifth generation fighters. The and yep. you pointed out their Sukhoi fifty sevens? Su fifty sevens, yes. That's what they're based on. Yep. And if so if you look up a, a real world Su fifty seven, it looks very, very similar to what they're using uh, in the movie. And by being a fifth generation fighter, um these these machines have some pretty amazing capabilities, which they kind of show off a little bit in the movie. They they do not do anything in the movie that they cannot do in the real world. Now I don't believe that they actually did these maneuvers um uh, in the real world for, for filming purposes, mostly because it's really hard it's to get. It's insanely dangerous. Well, it's dangerous, but also getting a hold of a Su-57 is pretty hard, even if you're a Hollywood producer, <laughs> if you're not, uh, you know, in bed with, with uh, Vladimir Putin. I don't think you're going to be getting And I think that they only have a handful of them to begin with. I, um, much like the, we only have like 150 F-22 Raptors. I think they have a, a fraction of that in the Su-57s. I, I, I think that the number is somewhere around 15 or 16 exist in the world. Yeah, and and I think that maneuver, that particular maneuver that they do in the film, which is mm-hmm. worth the price of admission. Yes. Um, and that if it's CGI, it's executed flawlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've seen them do that at an air show. Yes. I think there's footage yep. of that at the front. Does a very similar thing, and uh, in, in, in its demonstration at air shows. That yeah, um, and the uh, the Su fifty seven. It's called a post stall maneuver, uh, basically where the airplane is able to flip itself in midair. 
Um, real world in a dogfight is probably not going to have any actual uh, usage because energy uh, is is what you're looking for. Having speed, which is part of the you know why everybody dogs on the original Top Gun, you know hit the brakes, he'll fly right by. In a real world dogfight, no, if once you lose your energy, you're dead because you got to keep your speed up. Similarly, with these guys, they wouldn't want to do this in a real world thing. But yes, they are capable of doing that. And yes, there is video of uh, uh, one that I've seen. The original version of it was called a Cobra Maneuver. Yes. Um, this one is called uh, something even further, but it incorporates elements of the Cobra, where it's able to stand on its tail, flip around, and, and do pirouettes and things. Which is which is sexy, but like you said, not real practical. When you lose your kinetic energy, you lose yeah. air speed, air speed, altitude, and ideas, you are toast. And yeah. realistically, there's no such thing as dogfighting anymore, and we'll ignore that whole thing for the fantasy purposes. <laughs> All of the current air-to-air capability is what we call standoff weapons. Yep. You're talking anywhere from 35 to 70 kilometers away, and it's all radar-based, and it's all remote-guided, and, you know, yep. the computers are shooting at each other. The human beings don't even see the aircraft they're killing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but it's a neat sequence. It's, it it's, is. It's very well done. <laughs> Um, and they drop an F bomb. It's an it's a PG thirteen movie, so they're only allowed one F uh, uh, cuss word, and and they they use it in that moment, and it fit perfectly. And I was like, yes. oh my gosh, yeah. Because I think the audience is all thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and and the and these aircraft have like VSTOL capabilities, vertical short takeoff landing, mm-hmm. where they can do vectored thrust, and they can do those flips and turns and and stuff like that. They have stealth, and they have smart skin capabilities on the aircraft. And, just, it, it's an it's very impressive machines. Pretty yeah. useless. Again, once you put a meat bag in it, you're limiting its performance <laughs> capabilities and envelopes. But okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, so here's my question to you, and and you you've got a pilot's license. You've you've done this. You know aviation. Mm-hmm. If your airfield gets whacked <laughs> and you're flying a fifth generation aircraft and you're already on long range patrol. Mm-hmm. What are probably your first orders? What's the default on the checklist? Well, uh, well, the, the the default is always uh, what are my options in terms of landing? Yes, where, where yes. Am I going go, to go? Go VFR direct <laughs> to your alternate airfield. Right. Because why? What is? Why would you not go and engage? You know, they say as soon as we hit the thing, they're gonna uh, those general those fifth gen planes are going to come right to the target and attack us. Why would they not do that? Well, probably because they don't have a good assessment of the situation. They don't want to be attacking randomly. And, and no fuel. And right. Yeah. If you're on, yeah, jet fighters are notorious for, for just gobbling up fuel, uh, especially Soviet uh, uh, fighters. I mean, they, they don't, they don't stay in the air very long. They, in other words, you don't go on a long patrol for like three or four hours and come back with a half a tank of gas. <laughs> so. Yep. It's, there's no loiter time. Even yeah. if they had a refueler, you know, even if they had one of those flying gas tanks up there, um, that whole process is going to take a half hour anyway. It's not like this two minute response time and boom, they're right there and ready to go fully engaged into a combat. You know, a combat's going to suck more fuel than anything else either. And now that your airfield that you're supposed to land at has been destroyed, there's probably no way you're going to make the alternate. And if there's only 15 or 16 of these planes in existence in the world, you're not as the pilot allowed to risk them. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
in right. a dogfight against unknown hostiles that have already struck the target. Yeah, that's okay. Again, fantasy land, whatever. <laughs> Make a terrible to... movie if the if the you know the pilots just said, "Okay, return to base, go to the altar." <laughs> right, right. This movie could have been over so many times <laughs> <laughs> if they let us write it. <laughs> okay, security. Tom Cruise has to teach these pilots to attack this thing. Mm-hmm. And they go through neat montages of, you know, the crews waxing all of them. So teaching them what they're doing wrong and how to do better. Yep. Um, this is a big super secret mission. Mm-hmm. Where is it briefed to the pilots who are going to be attacking the target? Oh, you mean in the, uh, the, the big hangar bay on the, uh, on the aircraft carrier in front of everybody? <laughs> Not in a secure uh, uh, information facility? <laughs> Twice. Twice. Yeah. Once in the big hangar in, in uh, at Top Gun with the big yeah. open door with the you know sunlight coming through, yeah. and then once in the hangar and in the aircraft the carrier, carrier. Yeah. you know, with big screens showing yeah. pictures and diagrams and everything. Yeah, yeah. Because the Navy has never been uh, breached by a spy that would be giving the <laughs> adversary <laughs> information about what certain boats are doing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so in terms of all that, and the fact is, in terms of need to know and compartmentalization, would you even tell the pilots what the target is? Or just, yeah, yeah, they they don't have need to know. Right, right. You, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Many layers uh, were, were were breached, and of uh, or many layers of security um, in the name of making it look really cool, <laughs> because yeah, no one does anything secure out in an open hangar bay, especially on a uh, on an aircraft carrier where any Joe could, who's pushing a broom can just walk by and be like, "Oh, you're hitting that target! Wow, that's awesome!" <laughs> USA, USA. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then there was a moment that really bothered me. Um, Tom Cruise is right before they're supposed to deploy, right right before they're supposed to go and do this mission. Tom Cruise is talking to the chick he's banging. Who happens to be Jennifer Connelly and yeah. who looks awesome and she's great. Do not diminish Jennifer Connelly like that. She is not just some chick he's banging. It's Jennifer yeah, freaking Connelly. All right. <laughs> and she makes the comment to him, oh, you're worried about your pilots coming back or, or something along those lines. You know, there's something mm-hmm. where it's intimated that he has shared with her at least enough information to say it's a risky mission it's a mission happening soon i'm going with other pilots you know yep this is horrible opsec i mean like the absolute worst she already knows his history because the first time we're introduced to that character she says oh you were deployed to bosnia and then you were deployed she knows who he is and what he does and where he goes this is not the sort of stuff that she is supposed to know. She's a civilian. Yep. She's not a particularly trustworthy civilian. She has all sorts of very um, uh, vulnerable pressure points, including mm-hmm. she's a single mom. She, you yeah. know, yeah, and she owns a bar, which is not a, a, a cheap thing to do. 
And on top of that, she fucked him over because she made him pay for the for the, for the bar tab for everybody because he put his yep. cell phone on the bar. <laughs> yep. Why on earth would you tell this woman anything? <laughs> she <just, laughs> he didn't even have the money to pay the bar tab. He had to come back the next day. And and it's the only bar in North America right, that right. does not have an ATM. <laughs> and did you see the name of the bar? No. The, the, the name of the bar is The Hard Deck. Uh, which is a play uh, on multiple levels, yeah. but yeah. And and we're not supposed to ask how Jennifer Connelly, being a single mom with no other apparent means of income, not only can afford a bar and a Porsche, but a pretty nice looking sailboat. Yes. So she's <laughs> if she's not a foreign asset, <laughs> right? She's These are the things least, you look at. She's divorced very well, or. Yeah. Has married enough pilots over her years that she keeps getting SGLI from each of them as they go through this Top Gun class. She's just bad luck. Yeah, and and that was a nice car that she drove. But yeah, uh, nice bar. I mean, it wasn't a dive bar by any means. Um, uh, a nice sailboat. Yeah, yeah. That 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 all just screams. Um, and 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 again, going back to spycraft, th those are the types of things that you that you look for as uh, 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 trip signs of is someone receiving money from somewhere else because they they might be selling secrets that they have access to. Um, yep. I'm trying to think of who it was. Uh, was it Hansen or, or one of those spies? Start, uh, uh, an American spy who was spying for the Soviet Union during the Cold War started making these outrageous purchases with all the money that the Soviet Union was giving him because uh, he was selling them secrets. And that was part of what they, they figured him out on. Uh, well, it, Hansen was interesting. He he was giving money to strippers, but <laughs> but not but but to save them, to help them leave stripping and and, and get into you know legitimate work, uh, yeah. because he was very religious. I think it was Aldrich Ames that That's bought the Jaguar. Okay, Aldrich Ames, and, yes, and drove it onto CIA headquarters property. <laughs> yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, obviously Penny Benjamin, despite being an admiral's daughter, uh, apparently um, is getting money from somewhere, and it's very suspect. If I were uh, Tom Cruise looking at that, I mean, I'd be saying, yeah, I mean, she's a, she's a, uh, you know, a, easy on the eyes, we'll say, <laughs> but I don't know that I should be telling her anything. What? I'm sorry, what, 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 what was all? That? She's an admiral's daughter. Yeah, you didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, you didn't. Oh, okay. Sorry, you must have glossed over all that. I don't know if you remember in the original Top Gun, the 86 Top Gun, uh, Tom Cruise makes some statement to Goose about uh, uh, buzzing the tower. And then uh, they, they, they both go, oh, yeah, the Admiral's daughter. And I think Tom Cruise goes, Penny Benjamin. That's who the, that's who the Jennifer Connelly character is. That's the callback from the 86 version. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to, to surprise you with that. I thought you already no, knew that. No, thank you for that, because I totally <laughs> did not realize that she was actually, I, I don't think she was in the film, but the, was character was, the character was nodded to in the original film. That's correct. Yes. So she's a personification of an unnamed character prior. Yeah, well, she had a name in the 86 Top Gun, but yeah, they never showed her on screen. And, and yeah, so she was the reason that Tom Cruise had gotten in trouble multiple times in the past. Ah, uh, thank you. That no, thank you so much. That really that helps. Okay, all right. That puts. A Sorry, lot I don't nerd out on movies this much, but Top Gun is one movie that I have nerded out on considerably. <laughs> okay, so 
now I want to address the thing you brought up at the very beginning of the podcast. I did not like the original. I okay. I actually resented the original. Okay. Because I had decided to go to the Air Force Academy and I wanted to become a fighter pilot before the movie came out. Mm. So as I was going through the process to get into the Academy, everyone's like, oh, you just watched Top Gun, huh? Uh, you really liked that? I was like, no, this is denigrating <laughs> the effort that I've been expending for the past 10 years. I am not doing this because Hollywood said it was cool. That I kind of resented that as a motivation. Um, I, I have a similar experience, not with that, but with the band Queen. I was a big fan of the band Queen way before Wayne's World was. And then Wayne's World hit and everybody became a fan of Queen. And I was like, no, I, I've been a fan of them since <laughs> like the mid 80s. <laughs> I liked them before they were cool. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, so, okay, so I get it. But uh, so, so you resented the original Top Gun for that reason. Did you find anything redeeming about it at all, though? Did I lose you? Uh, <laughs> I think I was too young and immature and lacking of knowledge. As a matter of fact, I know I was to understand and appreciate the magnificent high gay camp that that <laughs> film embodied. Yeah. And if you've not seen it yet, go go look up the Tar Quentin Tarantino clip where he breaks down the original Top Gun about how it's the gayest movie ever. It is. It is the most homoerotic film ever created. And I could appreciate it from a camp level, I think, now if I could get past all of the really terrible, terrible aspects of it, such as the fact that Kelly Preston looks like his mom. Kelly uh, McGill McGill. Sorry, Kelly McGillis. Yeah, looks like his. You know, looks like she's old enough to be his mom. Right. Um, they have no on-screen chemistry whatsoever. Mm, the yeah. sex scene with the song is uh, by Berlin. Is that correct? Yeah, take my breath away. Take my yep. breath away. Was painful to watch, and <laughs> and believe me, at the age that I saw that film, I was looking for sex in any kind of movie. Um, but that one was such a turnoff because it was so. <laughs> Forced uh -huh. and awkward and yeah it, there is there is gonzo porn that is more indicative and representative of real world sex than that film representing a sexual <laughs> so all of okay. that really disturbed me that really really okay. bothered me okay so uh, let's let, let, let's take a step back did you like any of the fast zoomy plane parts Yes. Oh, yeah. And give me some Kenny Loggins. Give me Danger Zone all day long. The opening montage with the F-14s on the uh, uh, on the aircraft carrier in silhouette, and the guys waving their fingers and you know shooting them off and stuff like that. Did that not make you your heart race at least a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of the what we've come to consider to be the Jerry Bruckheimer, Michael Bay military mm. porn. Yes, that that it was. That, of course, that appealed to me as a kid. You know, seeing the I, if they just would have had the planes for two hours. Mm -hmm. That would have been great, mm. but I, I, I did not like all of both the, the false drama and, and the forced camaraderie, everything that took place when they weren't flying was annoying. And I think there's like 20 <laughs> minutes of flying in the point in, in the, in the movie, you know, uh -huh. an extended shirtless volleyball scene could have totally done without that locker rooms, you know, all that. Uh. You know, 
And, and Val Kilmer was such a better actor at that stage of his career yeah. than Tom Cruise was. And I don't, I, I didn't think Cruise had the chops and just seemed way too arrogant and pointless and whatever. His yeah. portrayal in this film is flawless. He really comes, he's matured as an actor and as a person, and the character of Maverick has matured as a character. Yeah, um, there's some depth to, to, to all, and, and nuance to, to all the stuff. Now, that being said, there was a character, and I forget the, the, the character's name or the actor's name, really good-looking hotshot pilot who's essentially the Maverick character of the new generation. Um, Hangman. Who, uh, yes, Hangman, yes. Um, who gives you a, a view of the Maverick character from 1986 as it is in 2022. And you realize what a jerk he really was in 1986, because this kid is, is all the exact same qualities, good looking, way too confident, uh, uh, um, you know, gets, you know, uh, uh, killed, you know, in mock dog fights and stuff like that, but he's just annoying on every level. And you realize by the end of it, that, that was Maverick's character in 1986, but Maverick has now matured and we as the audience have matured and, and come to appreciate that. And now you can look at that character, look at Hangman and go, gosh, I really wouldn't want to fly with that guy. Yeah, he is dangerous. Yeah. He's... yeah. <laughs> all the yeah. things that Iceman said to Maverick, yeah, they all ring true. <laughs> I don't want to be around that. Yeah. And, and, and I got to say, as an adult, as me now watching this movie, The Top Gun 2, mm -hmm. Their sequence where they're introducing the young pilots in the bar was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're idiots. Yeah, they really, they're too young. They don't understand anything. They think they're cool, and it's uh -huh. really dumb. And I like that, that Tom Cruise is just sitting at the bar kind of nodding and smirking yep. and like, yeah, yeah. And he sees himself in them, and that was that was that was nice and that was that was yeah. useful as that dichotomy i think right right he can he he can recognize as his character and as his actor uh, as as a person uh yeah they, 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 these are the things that i did in the past that probably <laughs> i should not be be proud of <laughs> as we sit here today but yeah nonetheless oh uh, yeah um so other other security things that that uh that you saw in all that i have the, a big one. Oh yeah go ahead Okay, and this is the a huge spoiler. If you uh, if you've put up with all the other spoilers so far, the F fourteen makes a comeback because the adversary country has a fleet of or or at least one F fourteen, which is what they flew in nineteen eighty six. Why on earth would you let your airbase get infiltrated by two downed pilots? So Maverick and Rooster have been downed; <laughs> they've been shot down. Are, are managed to make it onto the airbase, get into one of the adversary's F-14s, everything is still in English in the cockpit, <laughs> and not only take off on a bombed runway, which is a little bit goofy, <laughs> but get in the air and then fly formation with the Su-57s that are meant to shoot them down, and no one shoots down the F-14. No one realizes. And they're even waving at them and, and, and you know pretending like they have bad comms and stuff like that. Why is that F-14 not immediately down? <laughs> Why is it fueled up? Right. Why is anything? <laughs> Why is it in a state of readiness? Yeah. Why is it connected to an APU? Why is it, you know, <laughs> and again, this is such, a, and, and I was telling, you know, Robin, I said, it, it's, it's nifty that 
Tom Cruise runs away from the hind helicopter and then runs over to Rooster's, you know, uh, parachute location. But if you get blown out of a cockpit in an Aces 2 chair, Mm -hmm. you're compressing your spine at least a sixteenth of an inch. I was going to say, yeah, he, Tom Cruise is already a small man, and he's probably going to be about two inches shorter after that ejection on top yeah. of Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're not running anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> after you, you're going to want to lie down for a bit. You're going to, you know. <laughs> and Tom yeah. Cruise is in great shape. I mean, you know, the, yeah. he has several shirtless scenes in this. Mm-hmm. If I look half, one-tenth as good as he looks at age 60, I will be absolutely thrilled. You and me both, yep. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But, uh, yeah, that's that's not going to happen. I, I Yeah. Uh, it, all of that was not realistic. It was fun as cinema and, yeah. and them going to steal the F-14. That gave me echoes of um, Firefox the 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 book and the um the movie with Clint Eastwood was that the helicopter one no he goes to steal the new russian fighter plane oh okay i don't i don't guess i've seen this one i know it's an old one it it it, 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 I mean, it is from the 80s i think um the book was pretty good the sequel was kind of abysmal firefox down um, the movie was the movie. I think was better than the book because they cleaned up some of the crap from the book. But same kind of idea. They go into a Russian base and they steal the plane. Mm-hmm. But at least Clint Eastwood spoke Russian. You know, I mean. <laughs> and, and uh. Now, now maybe if the base had just been struck by a dozen Tomahawk missiles, maybe their instinct to zap the F-14 that's taking off from their taxiway. Uh, would be somewhat delayed. I'm trying to make excuses Uh for the the writing of the film. Maybe, maybe it was an overzealous pilot trying to rescue the aircraft before it gets Mm -hmm. hit some more. Yeah. I think I I I remember that happening in Iraq um, when we were torching their bases from the air and they were scrambling to get their planes up and fly them anywhere. They even flew Mm -hmm. some to Iran and gave them away to Iran rather Mm -hmm. than have them destroyed. Do you remember that? Uh, vaguely, yeah, I remember some of the high points of that. So yeah, yeah, that, that rings a bell. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, get, yeah. Get all assets in the air because the base is, is toast. Correct. Correct. So that, that would be the only reason I would excuse that sequence. Uh, Again, assuming the plane was ready for takeoff and that they could actually manage it. But wouldn't you think that the Su-57 pilots would look at their cockpit over at this F-14 and be like, huh? Those pilots are wearing American helmets, and it says there you go. See the helmets are the thing. <laughs> Thank you. I we said don't wear to Robin, those <laughs> I said to Robin on the way home, after you bail out of the aircraft, you ditch the helmet and you take the parachute. And they did the exact opposite. They threw <laughs> away the their parachutes and they took yeah, the helmet. The parachute has the rescue kit. All your, of the your parachute is your rescue kit. Yeah. That is, that's it's your shelter, it's your bandages, it's your signal, it's your yeah. everything. The parachute is extremely valuable. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that's yes. <laughs> and forget the fact that they probably have ELTs on their shoulder that are squawking uh-huh. on guard, and everybody on the Russian base can hear them and know exactly where they are. But forget all that, obviously, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, 
from a security perspective, movie fail. Okay. Yeah. But but from a but from a cinematic experience, I got to tell you, I enjoyed this film much more than I enjoyed the first one. Well, you're not applying to be in the Air Force Academy, so that's <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to resent anymore. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I agree. From uh, yeah, from a from a goofiness standpoint of the story, yeah, none of this would ever happen. But uh, that's not why I wanted to see this movie. I wanted to see this movie because I love aviation, and I wanted to see cool shit being done in the air. And I and and in that respect, it fulfilled everything. Yeah, I thought it was great. And and I liked how they incorporated a lot of flying things in the film, not just the flying, but the mm -hmm. explanation of of G lock. And the, <laughs> yeah. the showing of graying out, um, yep. uh, what G's are and, and what that means to the human body and what the limitations are. Um, a bird strike and how dangerous <laughs> that is. Uh, yeah. What the hard deck is and why that's so important. <laughs> right. um, you know, that, those were, and, and I think John Hamm did a fantastic job. Um, mm -hmm. I, I always like seeing him anyway. And, and yep. I think Robin has a crush on him. So that was a huge <laughs> selling point for her. Um, uh, but but uh, the big one, and this is one of those meta pieces of film or cinema, um, having Val Kilmer, mm. who, who basically cannot deliver dialogue anymore because of his real world illness. And I think, it, is it throat cancer? Throat is that cancer, it? yep. Giving him a live role in the film and actually allowing him to interact on a very adult level and making his character as kind of an overshadowing presence throughout the film yes, is incredibly powerful and moving. And again, it, it draws from the real world onto the film experience, which movies, you know, and media shouldn't have to do to make that, but it does add that power. It does get, yeah. if you know the context, it, it does yield something to it. And that was very moving. That was very powerful. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Although if I'm Val Kilmer, Kilmer, again, spoiler alert, I mean, his character dies and they have a, a big military funeral with the uh, uh, missing man formation over all that. If I'm Val Kilmer, who is in real life still alive, watching that i'm thinking guys did you really have to show show my funeral like i'm watching my myself die on screen you know not and, and not in like a you know a, a movie type death this was a, a hard-hitting you know real real death of a of a, the, the iceman character so i don't know i thought that was a little bit uh goofy but uh, uh yeah, i think sure. that I think that none of them expect Top Gun 3 to be made in 20 years or to be around to be able to do it. Yeah, right. As much as Tom Cruise refuses to age, <laughs> I don't uh, think that's a thing. 2042, Maverick is still a, uh, a captain. <laughs> By that time, he's going to be in Blade Runner. It's going to be yeah. the two movies are going to cross over. It's true. Yeah, there you go. The Harrison Ford uh, uh, yeah. Maverick uh, crossover. Yeah. Um, so. The one other thing I'd say, the, the thing that, that forced my suspension of disbelief more in this film than anything else, his ability, and sometimes him and Jennifer Connelly together, to drive a motorcycle for any distance in California without wearing a helmet and not be thrown in prison <laughs> totally threw all my other suspension of disbelief right, out the right. window. That, that's... You, can, 
steal a Mach 10 super uh, sonic yeah. uh, uh, oh, yeah. plane, but but woe unto you if you decide to drive your motorcycle without a helmet. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's that is such a departure from reality that I, I, I that threw the rest of the film into disarray for me. <laughs> uh, yep. Well, I I enjoyed it though thoroughly, um, and and I, you know, you and I had talked uh, in the weeks leading up to this that you know we, we I think we were both interested in seeing this, and I think that it it met um, all of my expectations. It was a it was a, a, a you know a popcorn blockbuster. It was a summertime movie, and I think that it did did great. Brought back a lot of nostalgia for me for the for the original one. Obviously, it didn't for you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then we have uh, about three or four years of age difference between, the, and that's that's probably that generation gap there. So yeah, your your, your final thoughts on it on exceeded movie? my expectations. Yeah, and, and you know, in our movie review or our media reviews on this show, uh, we do a binary rating, mm-hmm. a zero or a one, and yes. I give it a one. How it sounds like you'd give it a, a, a one a, plus a one. It's, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a it's a big fat one. Yes, <laughs> excellent. Okay. All right. Good. Fails on the security aspect, but that's yep. not what it's designed to do. It's it's right. not a training film. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Navy answer, propaganda recruitment film. Right. Don't answer your CISSP test prep questions uh, as if you were <laughs> in the movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna add one more comment as to why I resented the original Top Gun. Oh boy. Here we go. Almost concurrent with Top Gun coming out, a far superior film about the same concept, naval aviators and their training, came out around that, that same time. Um, Richard Gere, Louis Gossett. Officer and a Gentleman. Yep. Officer and a Gentleman. A movie that desperately needed some Navy cooperation with filming mm. air sequences to punch it up a little bit, to, yep. to, to separate it just from the romance and drama and give it some action. And the Navy refused because they thought the portrayal of the training was too harsh and mm-hmm. that it was distasteful and that it dealt with too mature themes and it wasn't going to reach their target audience of dumb teenage kids that they wanted to come enlist in the Navy with right. the false promise of becoming a pilot. Right. And, <laughs> and I, and that's another reason I resent Top Gun is because the Navy jumped in with both feet when it gave this, you know, uh, totally artificial portrayal of those things in Top yeah. Gun because it was positive for the Navy's purposes. <laughs> go, go rent Officer and a Gentleman, but yeah. go see Maverick in the theater. How's that? <laughs> and and both of us having been through military training, I it's been a while since I've seen Officer and a Gentleman, but I I, I seem to recall that the the sequences were fairly accurate an officer and a gentleman of what it's like, what like to actually be trained as an officer candidate. So, <laughs> and, and, and neither one of us went to OCS, which is kind of what they're depicting there. Right, right, right. But, but uh, a lot more real. Louis Gossett Jr. had it down. I mean, yeah. he, you know, him and Arlie Ermy are, are like, yes. the, you know, archetypical trainers or DIs. In, in those milieu that that I go to when I think about reality in, in those situations. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So again, thank you, Matt. Uh, you, it was kind of your urging and <laughs> your desire to do this episode that got me to go and see the film. Oh, and, uh, yeah. No, I, and I apologize uh, that, that, that I pushed so hard for you to go see it, but I have so little 
interest in pop culture, except for a few small things, Star Wars being one of them, and Top Gun is one of them. And I, I, I've known for, gosh, I've been waiting for this movie for, you know, over two years. It was supposed to come out when COVID um, hit, and they pushed it off and pushed it off and pushed it off. Anyways, yeah, it finally occurred, and um, yeah, I, 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 I jumped on it. So, yeah, I pushed you. I pushed, I pushed many other friends. To I, I'm glad well. you did. I, I thank you for it. <laughs> I, th- I appreciate it. I really do. I really do. It, it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. Okay, um, and this has been in either post-production hell. Was that because the theaters were closed or yeah. did they tweak a few things along the way too? Um, a little column A and a little column B. I think they did do some last minute uh, script tweaks and, and some scene edits and stuff like that. But yeah, the, 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 the overarching push was, yeah, this is a movie to be seen in theaters, to be seen in a big theater with a good sound system, with a big crowd and and just all the energy that goes along with it. So, yeah, they, they had multiple offers over the last two and a half years to release it to streaming. And that's what I was really figuring was going to happen. I thought that it was eventually going to just be released to, to streaming and I would see it at home. And um, the producers, including Tom Cruise, really pushed and, and held their ground and said, no, this is a movie that must be seen in the big screen, in the theater experience, because this is a tentpole for the movie industry. This is something that will make people fall in love with the movies again. And I think from that aspect, they did the right thing. Let me ask you about that then. The theater I went to was a 20plex, Mm -hmm. and I think it was showing on four or five screens. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were about 20 people in the theater we sat in. (laughs) Okay. What was the attendance like at yours? Um, it was a pretty full theater, but it was also one of those XD IMAX super duper 80 speaker subwoofers under the seats type experience. And so it was a pretty full thing. Um, because yeah, generally speaking, I want to see them with as few people as possible, <laughs> but this one was actually a pretty full, uh, theater, okay. theater experience. So yeah. And I thought that it was great. Um, people applauded at the end of it. And, okay. Uh, and, and do you know, uh, how's it performing? I mean, this is the big summer kickoff yeah, movie weekend. Is it doing the blockbuster? Action yes, it's doing, it's doing the money. That, it's exceeding their expectations. I think it's on track by the end of uh, Memorial Weekend, which is a three-day, four-day weekend if you count Friday. Um, it's supposed to be like one of the highest grossing movies. It's going to be. It's going to make over $151 million from Memorial Day weekend alone. Okay. So, yeah, okay. it's 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 Good tracking exactly what they wanted to, to do. So uh, from that standpoint, yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Fair. Uh, I, I thought, I don't know if in your screening that little desperate begging of Tom Cruise before the film started. The yeah. Yeah. That was kind of off-putting. Well, he looked weird too. <laughs> he was kind of weird looking, but, um, yeah, and I've been at other movies, uh, 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 movies where the uh, one of the actors has has done a little small intro. It's like a three-minute intro, two-minute intro, basically thanking you for coming to the theater, seeing the movie the way it was meant to be seen, and that kind of stuff. I kind of, you know, I kind of get that, because these actors, this is, this is what they want. They want people to go to the theaters. Okay. I find it slightly off-putting and desperate because we're already there. You're preaching to the... We're, we bought the ticket. We're sitting <laughs> right. in the theater. Right. Stop what am I selling supposed to do? me. <laughs> right. Go outside and tell people outside. Go in there <laughs> and see it. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. And maybe yeah, from I'm that perspective, you. we're actually doing their bidding unintentionally by releasing a podcast that's talking about their big uh, <laughs> thing because we're not being compensated in any way by Paramount or uh, any of these uh, movie theater companies. Tom Cruise not- isn't writing it. A check for, for talking about not it. yet anyway 
<laughs> Let's get back to that ethics question from a couple episodes ago. <laughs> this film has been, or this podcast has been brought to you by yeah. Tom Cruise Industries, your favorite multi-billion-dollar property. Excuse um, me while I fan myself with with stacks of a hundred-dollar bills. <laughs> All right, um, great. Thank you again, Matt. Uh, really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you, and, and great insights. Yeah, I appreciate um, it. Until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. And I'm Matt Snotty. Catch us again next week for another episode of The Sensuous Sounds of InfoSec.